So at the beginning of this year, we had quite an intense time of looking into prayer, and we know we know we are called, and when we call to Him, the Lord loves to hear our voice and to answer us. And prayer is so much more than just praying, but prayer is that we reach out to Him, and we've learned that we reach out for a spirit of supplications and of prayer. We reach out for His presence. Um, just a brief sound check. I feel more like in a big barrel, but can you hear me all right? Okay. Anyway, there's lots of echo here uh, on the platform. Maybe you can do something about that. And we also know from the Word of God that a mark of faith is our hunger and thirst for the presence of God. So that's one of the marks, you know, that the Holy Spirit placed something in us. And where we don't have, don't feel so, so hungry for the presence of God anymore, the Lord wants to revive something. And the other thing is that the Lord has placed something in each person, in hum each human being, that we can sense the presence of God, whether we are Christians or not, it is amazing, but every human being is capable of sensing the presence of God. It's something inside of us. There's a desire and a longing in each human being for the living God. Every human being has a longing for love, protection. But we know that the presence of God is even so much more than that. And there's so m such a longing in so many, they desire the presence of God and they don't even know what it is. So life in the presence of God, it's what the Bible says, is living under the shadow of His wing. It's a wonderful word, and we can hardly imagine what that means. It's a picture and an image, but to be under the shadow of God's wings, that's the place where God's presence is. And the Word of God says in Psalm 84, it is something like a way that is paved in us, a desire, a longing for His dwellings, a desire for His house. Or the Word of God says, there's a longing to dwell in the courts of his house. And the Word of God also says, there is a way, when I go through the dry valley, it will become a, a place of springs for me. And I think for us it's worthwhile taking a closer look at that. How can we get close to that promise? And how can we be in the place of his presence? Okay, we understand about prayer, waiting on him, but there's so much more than that. And I will try to explain that to you with the help of Psalm 84. And I'll try to explain this more closely. And so I really love this psalm and I want to read it to you. And then we'll take a closer look at it. So Psalm 84, it's a psalm of the sons of Korah to sing on the Gittith. Now the Gittith, actually it's not a lady's name, but it's a stringed instrument, okay? So here it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Or in German it says, they are rejoiced in the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for her young, where a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. 
As they pass through the valley of Baca, or the dry valley, they make it a place of springs, and autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. That is such a wonderful psalm. And somehow it really resounds in our ears. I uh, used an older translation in German here, Martin Luther. Actually, the original might be quite a bit different than he actually puts it here. So it's probably worthwhile to take a look at the psalm in its completeness, but then we can find some conclusions and some practical steps. Because sometimes the presence of God can be very limited to our personal experience, but I tell you, there's so much more. We've got still room to grow in the presence of God. So there's really room to grow. So this is a psalm of the sons of Korah according to Gittit. Now, Gittit, I explained to you. But it is a good beginning with the sons of Korah, right? I don't know whether you immediately recognize the name. But how was it with Korah? You know, he was their ancestor. I don't know whether it was their great-grandfather or whoever. But he took 250 very recognized people, elders. They wanted to push out Moses and Aaron. And they arose inside and they actually experienced God's judgment. And at home, I've got a very old Jewish uh, dictionary that I got uh, in an uh, old, uh, old bookstore, and it explains Korah. It says about Korah, it's an archetype of strife. So Korah somehow seems to be something really negative, but now you see there's a beautiful psalm with his names. So what happened? And then you realize, also in uh, Numbers 26, it mentions the sons of Korah who did not die. And actually, this word Korah is no more and no less than a promise of mercy and grace. Despite judgment, we see God coming with his grace, and the sons of Korah, we again find them as worshippers, as singers, doorkeepers, composers of songs. And they are able to write such a wonderful song about the presence of God. So those who have encountered the grace of God, they come to the place of his presence. And somehow, to me, that's like a sign of his mercy. Would you ever imagine that all of this can be found in the name Korah? And then we take the first few verses. You can have this psalm into three different sections. Section number one, wonderful. It's about the glory of God's presence. So it's not about 
Korah and the sons of Korah, the singers and everybody else, those who go up to the temple, that they are so fascinated by the beautiful architecture of the temple. I don't know how you felt, but when I was a child, my father and my family, they loved traveling from church to church, cathedral to cathedral, looking at all the altars, uh, the flying buttresses, the stained glass windows, and for me it was quite a torture to go. And this aestheticism of cathedrals, that's not what they're talking about, okay? That's the message. It's not about them being so excited about the glorious architecture of so Solomon's temple, but it's about something else. It's about the presence of God. That's what attracts them, okay? And so, okay, the first few verses, Lord God Almighty, how lovely is your dwelling place, how much I love your dwelling place. So please, look at this, uh, in, actually in, in Hebrew it's plural, it's many apartments actually in there, it's a plural. So in Hebrew it's Mishkan, dwelling places. So the Bible speaks about the tent of meeting, that is also called as the dwelling place, the house. It's got different uh, coverings and the top covering was uh, with lots of ornaments and then that was the first tent of meeting and then Solomon's temple had different sections, the outer courts, inner courts and the holy of holies the sanctuary, but actually these dwelling places don't just speak about Solomon's temple, but this speaks about the place of the presence of God. So this is not about us learning that we can only worship and meet with the Lord on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's not quite true. You can meet him there, but not only. It's about you encountering the living God right where you are. You can change your dwelling place into a dwelling place of the presence of God. How lovely are your dwelling places, is what it says. And then it says, uh, verse 2, it says, my soul yearns, so that is hungers, even faints for the courts of the Lord. So this yearning is kala. This word, word to yearn for something is actually also connected to the fact that something is completed. So I can only be completed from God's perspective. He can only bring me to the goal once this longing is in me. My soul yearns, faints, is desiring. There, this desire is in my heart, my whole body, my physical body, my soul, everything I am, my whole existence. I desire this. And so actually this is quite different to what we might experience in our own lives. You know, that's not religious. But actually this is something that is driving you. It's making you reach out for God. You desire to meet with Him. You are longing to receive everything from you. Everything in you cries out for the living God. And my friends, that is like the landing strip for the presence of God. This desire, this longing, hunger and thirst. I remember when I got saved and heard about the power of the Holy Spirit and I heard about what the Holy Spirit's doing and that we can have encounter with Him, that we can hear the voice of God. That was all Spanish to me. I, it's all Greek to me. I d just did not know what to do with it. 
And in my heart, there was just one desire, and that's the desire that drives you to pray. It causes you to get up in the morning, praying every Friday night. That desire actually drives you to receive more of the Lord. And now that's the desire and longing that's a mark that the Lord is doing His work in us. So this is what verse 2 is talking about. And then we see verse 3, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself. And so actually, now instead of uh, dwelling place, it uses the word home. So in my father's house, there's many dwelling places, is what Jesus said, or it can be translated apartments, many houses. So this is focused on eternity, many dwelling places, talking about God's house. And this house also has different kind of meanings. It's always a, like a trifold sound. One house is the Temple of Sol Solomon. The second house, of course, is in the New Covenant. We see it's the, the house is the church, the house of God, household. But also the house can be what is expecting us in eternity. But actually, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. And then, very suddenly, it says, your altars. Or in English, there's a place near your altar, but in German, it's your altar. That's what it is. Maybe you imagine a Anglican church or Lutheran Catholic church, an altar where to preach, but that's not the altar it's talking about. But it's the altar for the burnt offering, actually. So out in the outer courts of, or actually the inner courts of the temple, there there was one courtyard for the priests. You know, the, even the courtyards were split. You had the, the courtyard, the sanctuary, and the Holy of Holies. And then we don't know too much about the altar, but actually this altar, it was about giving the best to the Lord, bringing a sacrifice. So it was an attitude of giving there. The Lord Almighty, my King and my God. So that's Melech and Elohim in Hebrew. So you see, my King and my God. And so Korach here, our singers, he didn't talk about the beautiful building, but he was talking about the Lord of Lords and King of Kings to have an encounter with him. So that's the glory, the desire and yearning, the longing for the glory of God. And then let's look at the next few verses. It says here about the blessing and what it means to live in the presence of God. Verse 4. Some of you in your Bible, it says it's uh, happy is he, or, or others can say blessed is he. But this word actually encompasses your well-being in every area. It doesn't mean you don't have any more crisis, but in the crisis, in your life with God, you do well. You are blessed. You are that's God's promise, you know, because if we live with him, we are to be blessed. It would be terrible if we weren't blessed, okay? If we had the feeling that blessing was for everyone else, but not for us. No, the Lord has promised, I will bless you. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, God's promise for you is that you will be blessed. And so here we see, blessed are those, happy are those who dwell in your house. So that is kind of uh, slightly different. That's not just about 
coming to the house of God every now and then. For instance, like uh, today we see, blessed are those who attend a service every now and then or who attend cell group or something. No, that's not what it's talking about. But those who dwell, who live there, that's a lifestyle, who are there day and night, who praise you all the time. And praising here, he, they're ever praising you, that's halal, so that's hallelujah, yeah? They honor you continuously. They are there for you constantly. They're doing well. So blessed are those who live a lifestyle that's pleasing to God and who are planted in the house of God with their spirit, soul, and mind. And then verse 5, blessed are those, so blessed, happy, we've got several of those. Who wants to be blessed like that? Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And actually in Hebrew, it doesn't only say strength, it says strength, strength. You know, because if the Bible mentions a word twice, it's emphasis there, whose strength is in you. And so they don't seek their power, their own strength in what they do. They don't seek it in comparing to others. They're not inferior. You know, inferior is always about comparing to others and not feeling adequate. But they have their strength in God. Wow. How can that be? Who have their strength is in God. And all their recognition is in him. Their solidity, is, their stability is not in people and situations, not experience or the past, but in God. They are planted and rooted in him. They can be happy, is what the word of God says. And then, whose hearts in whose hearts are ready-made ways, or in here it says who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, but their hearts are not wandering astray and going right and left, but their ways are straight. So there are ready-made ways in their hearts, very clearly to be seen. Many years ago, I was on outreach somewhere in Mongolia, and at that time, it was, I don't know about today, but I was traveling with Walter Heidenreich and some others. And at that time, I'm sure many things have changed by now, but at that time, there were only paved roads in the capital Ulaanbaatar. And then we planned on visiting a prison somewhere, and we had to drive 80 or 100 kilometers outside the capital, and we were in a jeep. And so then you left the capital, and about a mile or so later, there was just grasslands, no more paved roads. But something was good, a path turning left, a path turning right. So you could see tra trails of cars going everywhere, but you felt that those cars just dispersed all over the place, so there were no ready-made roads. And this is sometimes the state of our hearts. And that's actually always a mark that there is desert dryness in our hearts. But actually, the Word of God says, blessed are we when there is ready-made roads in our hearts. So the ways that God has prepared that we would walk in them. And the Lord always acts like this. He makes his way in us. He himself goes ahead of us because these are not our own ways. That's what we might think. That we would walk ahead and, and like a, a, a dog, a hunting dog, and then or a bloodhound, and Jesus comes after us, and at one moment I've lost him, and then he needs to whistle, and I run back to him. No, Jesus is different. He walks ahead, step by step. He makes the way for us. And we are the one who follow in his footsteps even though we might not understand them, because his ways are higher than our ways.
So, blessed are those wh whose heart is set on pilgrimage or who have ready-made ways, uh, ready ways in their hearts. Or the, there's a, a different translation says, who are courageous in their hearts to walk the ways of God. While they, tr and this next verse, I love it. As they pass through the valley of Baca, the dry valley or the valley of tears, that valley, valley truly exists. So when they walk through this valley of tears, the writer of the psalm here, Korah, always uh, has the path, the road up to Jerusalem in front before their eyes. When we walk through this valley, they make it a place of springs. Or to put it differently, while you walk through the dry valley, it is changed and transformed to a place of springs. So rain fills up the empty pools with water, or autumn rains, early rains, fill it with blessing. That's a wonderful promise, and we'll come back to that in a moment. They go from strength to strength while they walk. So while you walk through that dry valley, on God's ways, in his will, following him, your dry valley is changed into a place of springs. And all of a sudden, where you had no more strength, you suddenly get strength to strength and until each appears before God in Zion. That's what it says here. So a different uh, translation, with every step their strength increases until they appear before God in Zion. And then that's the second, the third part now, verses 8 to 12, is the call to prayer. So the path up into God's presence, the second one is the glory of God's presence, and all of this is only possible when we come to him actively. So many times I talk to people, friends, believers, people who are in need maybe, and my first question always is, well, what's your personal prayer life like? Oh, well, Jobs, you know, I just don't get round to it. Then I tell them, well, we don't need to talk anymore right now because you need to come to the spring. That's what God revived in us during the prayer retreat. We want to come to that fountain. And we can see that everywhere. There's a new spirit of prayer everywhere. And I can only encourage you, don't go back on that. And when you realize you're no longer connected, your faith by itself is just a first step, a good step, but a first step. You need to be active through the Word of God and through your personal prayer. Anyway, this is the call to prayer. Verse 8, Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Verse 9, Look upon your shield, or look, you are our shield. We can see that in the Psalms over and over again. God is my shield. He's my protection. What can happen to me? He is my sun and shield. And so this is the prayer. God, you are my protection. And that prayer is not just a quiet waiting. We also heard some things about this on our prayer retreat. It's not like kismet, fate, something that comes, oh, you got a 50-50 chance. Something someone said once many years ago, why should I pray? My chances of prayer, receiving answers to prayers is just 50-50. But the word of God says something completely different. God does hear our prayer and he does answer prayer. So he says, you are our shield. So the Lord loves us to speak who he is and what he does. 
Look with favor on your anointed one. So you see that prayer here. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. We heard about the courts. That's where the altars are for burnt offerings. In the courts, that was where the people gave the best to God. The lambs, because of their love, the courts represent worship. They worshipped God. They gave. They committed themselves. It was a place of life, a lifestyle in God. So better is one day in your courts, in your presence. And that's where the people gathered. And that's where they worshipped. And they couldn't go really inside, you know that? The sanctuary and the holy of holies. It was only the, the priests and then the high priest who was allowed to enter. But then they were there and said, one day there is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So rather one day with you, Lord. How precious is the presence of God. More precious than gold and silver. More precious than any holiday or all-inclusive holiday. Better than any, yeah, any vacation time, any ski trip. I mean, these are great things, so please, I also like that, so don't worry. But it's better. One day in His presence is better than anything else that we could ever buy or ever dream of. One day in His presence is better than anything better, better than anything any man or woman could ever give you, any human being could ever give you, better than any family could ever be for you. One day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. And that, ge that gets us to verse 11. Here, he really brings it down to a point. He says, For the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, is a sun and shield. So the word sun also goes for the east, okay? Sun and shield. That's where the light comes up, where the glory rises. And then it says, The Lord bestows favor and honor. This grace, this favor, this honor and glory, that's what God gives. And I love this verse. No good thing does he withhold. And I really want to tell you, that is a promise that you can make to your own. You can take ownership of this promise. No good thing, no beautiful thing, no delicious thing will he withhold from you. Luther says, you will have no lack in any good thing, or the godly shall not need, not lack anything. So he will not withhold anything from you. Those who give themselves to him and whose walk is blameless, who live in his perfect will, you follow in his footsteps, you serve him. In the little things, in the invisible things, you took a decision that he has first place in your life. You worship him, you are with him. Maybe you go through inner struggles that nobody else sees and the Lord looks at you and he says, hey, should I withhold anything from you? I don't withhold anything from you. I don't keep anything from you. You will not be in any lack or need. And then verse 12, it says, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. 
So this is like you draw the final line under your equation and the sum of all is Lord God Almighty, blessed, happy is the man, the human being, the person who trusts in you in all areas of his life. And when I read that, I think, oh Lord, I want to trust you. In everything I do, I want to trust you. Trust you even more. Trusting him is not just a one-off signature and not saying once, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is the risen one, but faith is active every day afresh. Trust starts early in the morning when I pray and commit the entire day to God. Trust continues where I maybe have problems. Trust goes into areas where I'm not successful where suddenly money is not there. Trust is where relationships are coming apart. Whom will I trust? Lord, I want to trust you more. I can't put my trust in people, but I can only put my trust in the living God. And that's what this psalm is about. This trust, it's so precious to the Lord, and this trust opens the door for his presence. The question is, how do I get to this place? How do I get to the place of his presence? I've got good news for you. You don't need to go to on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, even though it's very nice, and I would recommend to you to come to Jerusalem. The next March of the Nations is surely coming, and actually Heidi Baker has promised to be there. Okay? And many other cool things that we have already uh, prepared. Joshua Aaron, who's going to be here next Saturday, he'll be there for the March of the Nations. But that's a different story. We'll tell you more later. But you don't need that pilgrimage to J Jerusalem. And you don't walk, need to walk on St. James's Way, even though many want to walk there, the path, pilgrimage path, a place of meditation. I'm sure it's good for your health to go on a walk. But you don't need to walk there. You can go on another walk. And you don't need to come on pilgrimage to Tübingen either. If you're listening via TOS TV and think, oh, now at last you have to come to Tübingen, of course you're welcome and we'll be happy to have you. But actually that does not take us to the place of God's presence. But I would like to tell you a secret. How can you open the door to his presence? That door has a name. Jesus is the door to his presence. Oh, hallelujah. The word of God says, to those who knock, it shall be opened. That's the places of his presence. His presence dwelt among us. He dwelt among us, and his glory was seen. John 1, yeah? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was full of grace and truth, and we became witnesses of his truth and glory. So that's a, the glory the Father had given to him, our only, his only son. So remember the Mount of Transfiguration, the three disciples went up the mountainside with Jesus and the glory of God, Shekinah glory of God came down and they didn't want to leave anymore. They forgot space and time around them. They didn't have any watches. It was just the glory and presence of God there. Oh Lord, let us make tents here. Let us build dwelling places again. Yeah. So wherever the presence of God comes, you can put take off your watch. And because if you pray and just keep your eye on the watch, you still haven't even reached the courts yet. 
You may be somewhere, you're still at a distance that you need to overcome. That's not a problem, but you should overcome it. So Jesus is the one. And Jesus says about himself, I am the temple. And actually, Jesus uh, meant his own body when he spoke about the temple. He says, this temple will be torn down and it, I will raise it again in three days, is what he says here. Jesus says, I am fullness and those who have me will have fullness of his presence. So, Colossians 2, verse 5. Because in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. My friends, I want to have this fullness, because when it says fullness, it means fullness. It doesn't mean fullness of body and of waistline, or fullness of thoughts, but all my fullness is in God. Fullness of peace, of joy, of righteousness, fullness of blessing. So turn to the person next to you. The fullness of God is for you. The all fullness is in him, right? And John 4, verse 23, Jesus says, we are to worship him in spirit and in truth, but the hour is coming, and it's even now that real, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for these are the worshipers that the Father seeks. So every place where the Jesus is honored, where he sees our commitment, every place where we seek him with all our hearts and seek and desire him, yearn for him, that is and can be a place for God's presence. Whether it's your bedroom, your living room, whether it is your broom closet, it doesn't matter where it is, where you are. It might be in impossible circumstances, but where you are yearning and longing for him, reaching out for him, worshipping him, coming to him in his name, that is the prepared place to come into his presence, and he will come. But there are a few things that we need to learn. And there is two or three things that I've learned in recent days and that I would like to share with you. Because the first thing that would distract us is the situation around us, right? You say, oh, Job's wonderful to have this message, but when I get back home now, there will be such a heap of work waiting for me. Uh, my mind is just really boggling with what I have to do. At home, my depression is catching up with me. At home, there's all these problems. All the, you know, we're fighting at home, and bitching, and it's really terrible. Today is Sunday and Monday. They call it Blue Monday because you've got such strange feeling. Oh, you've got to start the week and everything is crashing in on you. Oh, yep, so you don't even imagine what's going on in my life. But we actually need to learn something about the desert. You see, because when we take a look at the desert, and I was told, you know, there are Christians who sometimes do walk through desert places. Maybe you too, ever been there? Ask the person next to you, have you ever been there? So there are times when we might go through a desert. And the desert, in a figurative sense, are dry, uh, f sterile, not bearing fruit, threatening. So desert is a place without food. And times in the desert are hard times that we don't really like usually. Is that true? But I do think we have to learn one thing. The desert, in God's eyes, is actually something completely different. In God's eyes, the desert is something very holy. You see, God gave his word and his law to his people in the desert. 
It was in the desert that God revealed his presence when the people of God was wandering through the desert for 40 years, the tent of meeting and uh, the presence of God was walking before them in a pillar of cloud and fire, and the glory of God was over the tent of the meeting. So it's very interesting. So that means that when we, you go through places of defeat, through times of desert, God actually doesn't see them as times of defeat. The Lord actually sees desert times completely different. Even your hard times are very precious to God. And they can be even holy. And maybe that does help us a little bit to look at the Hebrew word for desert, because the word for desert is midbar. And the word midbar has the, the, the root in dabar to speak and to talk. Midbar is the desert, is the very place where God speaks. And that's why God sent his people into the desert, because there he spoke to them. He could have sent them on the uh, highway, you know, just skirting the desert straight to the promised land, but he somehow didn't want to do that. And that's why he took Moses to the desert, and then he spoke to him in a burning bush. And that's why he led Elijah to the desert where he spoke to him. And that's why it does happen that every Christian who somehow starts out on his way with God then has been living with Jesus for some time will come across times when he will walk through desert. And actually the Lord will speak to him in those times in a special way. So don't run away from that desert. And that's why the most dangerous thing for you to do if you're in a desert is to raise your fist against God. That's why it's so important when you are in a desert and walking through a desert that you don't get stuck there and don't stop there. Because the problem is not being in the desert. The problem is only not getting out of the desert again. And that's what the people of Israel faced, right? They ran away and all sorts. They were angry against God. They shook their fist. And so we must not hide. And that's why it says, and so when they walk through dry places, it shall be turned in a place of springs for them. That's Psalm 84. Step one, never leave the path into his presence, even though you might be going through desert times. That's what the Word of God says. Oh Lord, how much I love your dwelling place, the place where your presence lives. Whether it's a time of desert, a dry valley, or whether you're in struggles and battles, where you think, oh, you're all by yourself. The important thing is, keep on track. Keep direction in this time. Because the time in the desert is not a problem, but it's important that you reach the new land. So don't be afraid of times in the desert. Because the Lord is taking away all distractions and he will speak to you there. 
But take care that these times, you in these times you will not remain alone because some people think they have to face these times on their own. But actually, the people of Israel was only able to cross the desert as a people, together. And those who somehow ended up staying in the desert by themselves, you never heard anything else. Uh, from them. So don't remain by yourself if you're in a desert. Next point. Psalm 84, verse 11. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who live in his righteousness. That is actually a very great and powerful help. So we probably all know that the word Yahweh is something that a Jewish person would never uh, pronounce. In Israel, I wouldn't say it that way. You would say Adonai. Or in the Bible, you read Jehovah. Because the greatness, majesty, and holiness of God is so great that you don't name this name, and that's why it's not even written. And if you look at that name, that name begins with a Yud. In Hebrew, that's the smallest letter. It's almost just a dot, a stroke, a dash, the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this letter, actually the smallest letter carries a message in itself. And it has the message for us and our path into the presence of God. So the first thing we learned was that Jesus is the door. And the second point, we saw that we need to say yes to our desert. And the third message is the message of Yud. Okay? That's one of the most important Hebrew letters. And so great, tremendous and important words begin with a Yud. So the first one is Yahweh or Ye Jehovah. With a Yud, Israel, Israel begins with a Yud. The chosen people of God. And with a Yud, also Jerusalem begins with a Yud. Jerusalem. And also the name Yeshua begins with a Yud. That comes from salvation, begins with a Yud. And the Yud also begins the word Yom, which is the word for day. Starts with a Yud. And now what does that mean? What is it about this Yud? This smallest of all letters. My friends, we are called for God to be able to use us for his vision and words to come to pass. I loved the beautiful testimony we heard from Judith to simply keep hold from keep hold of what God has said to us. No one of us can skip that. No matter how we live, we need to keep hold of his word. We want things to happen immediately, and sometimes we are frustrated that big things don't happen immediately. I don't know how you are feeling, but if you have a vision and faith and want to see things happening and then you get a bit older and the things don't happen then you look back and maybe you're frustrated about it but the question is how can we pray so we end up in his presence because sometimes we've got such huge ideas about his presence how can we reach a spiritual breakthrough we've heard so much about breakthroughs and we've God is a God of the breakthrough and how can we change things in us 
And how can we take that step from defeat into victory? You always begin with a yud. So you begin with the small beginnings, the things that are not really noticeable. Because yud is the insignificant, the things that are not noticeable. The first little step. And the word Yahweh, Yisrael, Yerushalayim, Yeshua, Yom, they always carry the same message. It's the first little step we need to take. God can't do his work unless we take the first step towards him. He can't come with his presence unless we take a first step first. He can't come unless we have our time in prayer every morning, our first step in prayer. He can't come and bless our day unless we approach our brother and sister and get reconciled. We start with little steps. But with little steps, big changes happen. And so many times we think that we could have great expectation without actually doing the little things. Now, if I were to ask Judith how to fly an A320, and she said, well, it's the smallest button, actually, that's important. And if I press the wrong smallest button, the whole engine can stop. That uh, can happen. If I make mistakes somehow, I need to know where is what. And you start with little things. And the same thing is true for our spiritual life. The smallest spiritual step of a new beginning in your life is the beginning of the greatest change. That's the message of Yud. So that's my third point. So take the first small step of a new beginning, and you can do that today. Psalm 84, verse 5. Happy or blessed is the man whose strength, strength, strength actually, is in you, in whose ways are ready-made ways, who are bold and courageous to walk in God's ways. In God's ways, every path, every road begins with the first step. So let's take a look at something else that will help us to find the way into God's presence. And for that, we need to uh, remember the following thing. We are God's creation. You're, you are created by him, you and me. God breathed into Adam and Eve. He put his spirit in you. He made you a living soul. Did you know that you are a living soul? So turn to the person next to you. Believe it or not, you're a living soul, a living being. And so if you leave here and you take a stone in your hand, or maybe you go to Israel, wherever, and take a stone in your hand, then it's possible that this stone probably has been around for the past thousands and thousands of years. It hasn't crumbled yet. It's just there. A stone exists. It's probably still going to be the same stone in a hundred years, whether it's a stone you've got somewhere on your bookshelf, or if you don't throw it into the sea or whatever. A, a stone simply exists. It's just there. And a deep secret. This stone doesn't have a heartbeat. It actually exists without a heartbeat. It's just there because it's a stone. But your heart and my heart is beating, right? And that means every moment 
of your and my existence, we are depending on our heart beating every moment of our very existence. It's a beating heart. That's how God created it. And, and this heart has to speed every moment. Even when you're asleep, your heart keeps beating. Your heart can't decide to just, oh, you know, we take a rest for six hours. We'll stop beating for six hours. No, that's the end of your living existence, right? So your heart has to beat no matter what you do with your time, whether you do good or evil, whether you hate someone or whether you live in forgiveness, whether you speak negatively or positively, whether you waste your life or you give your life to God, your heart is beating. And therefore, the difference between merely existing and living is heartbeat. That's the heartbeat. It's not to be taken for granted, okay? I can tell you that from my own experience. This heartbeat is crucial for your and my life. And we should stop just simply taking it for granted, because many people are squandering their life, their time. Many are squandering their life as if it was something inferior, or as if it was something you could throw away. It is something, they, they act as if it was something really base. But actually, it doesn't matter who you are, who we are, we all have one thing in common, we are all depending on God's heart, on God's heartbeat, a beating heart within us. And with your life, God has given you a precious treasure. But so many people are wasting and squandering their time and they live in sin and imprisonment and inferiority and negative thoughts about themselves. But you know what? God has called you to hear his heartbeat because you have been created in his image and your heart is beating because his heart is beating. The Lord did not invent something, you know, as you would usually imagine with, uh, with artificial intelligence or something, you know, some some algorithms, uh, whatever it's called, would do something some constructed bits come together and life is created. No, but it's God's heart that's beating. And that's why we, as his creatures, are made in his image. And your day, your yom, with a yud, will only receive its worth when we come to the place of his presence and your heartbeat is synchronized with his heartbeat. In the place of his presence where he dwell. Verse 10, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked, those who think they can find their own way of religion. And this gets us to the last point, and then we can pray together. The question is, how do we reach God's presence? There are so many here. 
their life as a believer is as if they were fighting against the wind. And that's really troublesome, really hard. Did you ever do that? Maybe you were visiting the seaside and there was a storm and the wind was against you and somehow that's really fun. You can really lean into the wind and then you try and walk there. And you do that for a short time, but if there's a real gale, you don't get very far, okay? And many Christians live as if they were struggling against the wind. And with many, it's the case that they feel that their following Jesus is like a struggle, a battle. It's hard. It's hard work. It's, it's hard work. The word God speaks about people who set out in faith, they start out in glory, and it becomes harder and harder after a while. And the Hebrew word for Holy Spirit, you know, is Ruach. It's translated with Spirit, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, storm and wind. And many people have grown weary in their life as Christians because they go against the Ruach, against the wind. And that's how it works. If you fight against the Holy Spirit, you're like, really, something is, is holding you back. Some th things are getting harder and harder. Things are costing you a lot of effort. But you know, the Holy Spirit always blows in one direction. He will always blow towards the places of his presence always in the direction of where we can meet the living God. He always blow, blows into the direction of His holiness. That's why it's the Holy Spirit. And He always blows against anything that is lacking in holiness, that He's not pleased with. Something where we have separated from God, where we live without faith, separated from God, without the Word of God, where we start going without the presence of God, where we go without the presence of God, where we don't want to obey, where we don't want to live according to God's principles anymore. And all of a sudden we realize that our feelings might not be different. But suddenly things get harder and harder and there's the wind is blowing against us, blowing in our face and things are getting hard and it's hard work to go to services, to attend cell group. Before, you used to be so happy simply researching and digging into God's word, digging in his word and suddenly, all of a sudden it's so such hard work and your life has changed and you've got magazines everywhere and you thinking more about Boulevard Press than anything else in TV or channel hopping, you're thinking about gossip stories, and suddenly things get harder and more difficult. But simply try it the other way around. Maybe today. And simply run back into the direction of the Holy Spirit. Come and run to Jesus, into the direction where you can meet with Him, into the direction where you can meet with Him in prayer. Maybe it's just the first little steps you do, into the direction of what it, God is pleased with, the direction of His kingdom, the direction of reconciliation. And maybe it does cost a price. The direction of getting your life right with God, the direction of confessing sin, the direction of having fellowship with Him and being before him, all of a sudden you realize, wow, wind is flowing on your back now. Suddenly the Holy Spirit's backing you. Suddenly the things that he's pleased with are suddenly easy for you. 
you are not more, no more struggling against obstacles and resistance anymore. And your dry valley, you can pass through so much quicker. And while you're walking through the dry valley in God's footprints, it's changed into a place of springs. You don't need to dig, you don't need to uh, work hard, but it happens. And the autumn rains come and fill the dry places, the cisterns, the pools. And you are someone who trusts in the Lord. And in closing, I would like to take one more look into the New Testament, Titus 2, verse 11. Paul writes, because the, the wholesome mercy of God has been made apparent to all men. And this word has been revealed or has appeared is not just something that's there, but just imagine... You are just somewhere in, on a piece of property or in a location without hills or trees. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the flatlands of wherever. You're standing there and suddenly you see something appearing in the distance. You see someone is coming and he will take maybe two or three hours, don't know how long, until he gets closer. But he gets closer and closer and closer, maybe like in East Anglia or somewhere. You know, the spot on the horizon is getting closer and closer. You can see him, you can, can't even tell who it is yet, you can't communicate with that person yet, but it's appearing. And then he is arriving, actually, and standing right in front of you. And that's the point where you can take hold of him, where you can embrace him, where you can receive his blessing, but he doesn't stop there. But the word to appear actually means he walks past you and will continue on walking and walking. And then there's one point that you can actually miss or we can miss to take hold of him. Because unless we don't receive the blessing, unless we take hold of the grace that is there, that has appeared, he will walk past. And he will keep walking, walking and walking. And we'll just see him from a distance. You can say, yes, I have seen him, I did see him, but there's a moment where I did not take hold of him. And this is what Paul is writing to Titus here. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So we need to take hold of it. Yes? So he is here. He has a name, and his name is Jesus. And he wants not just to draw you into his presence, but he wants to come with his Holy Spirit. He wants you to stand in his wind and say yes. Say yes to the first little steps, to Jesus, to himself. Say yes to the fact that he himself is coming with a glory that's so great, like we can see here in Psalm 84, and even greater than that, greater than what we can read here in Psalm 84. Because in the beginning, it all starts with grace, as we also saw for the sons of Korah. They received grace. So let's all stand so we can pray together.